Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest is an organizational change lead with in-depth experience in organizational change management and education strategy. He's a leader with experience and training in preparation for system deployment. He's currently an organizational change manager for Insight Global on assignment with a nationwide retailer. Please welcome to the show, Sean Higgins. How you doing, Sean? Hey, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, really excited for our conversation today. I've really enjoyed the uh, preparation conversations that we've had leading into uh, today's interview. So thanks again for joining us. I want to start off as we always do and ask you to get uh, your perspective on what you think the biggest challenge is facing the deskless workforce today. Sure. No, happy to. And thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to our conversation. Um, where I saw this most evident was in a job that I had just that I just ended a couple years ago, but with a major grocer. And you can imagine there is a uh, it's national chain and you have uh, workers. A majority of the workforce is uh, frontline, if you will. And so some of the things that we were implementing or I was part of supporting as far as the technology implementation were um, part of a digital initiative. There was that kind of. Um, a mix, if you will, between an hourly associate, uh, maybe some very young, some brand new back to the workforce, not always English as a first language, a combination of factors, very hard workers, you know, obviously, but now uh, they're being asked, some of them, not all of them, for this particular implementation to adopt some new technology. Uh, there's some new metrics against which they're being measured. Uh, so that this program that was being implemented could be successful. So it was just trying to understand as well as we could that workforce, what their challenges were. And in addition to that, not just on their current day-to-day, but the way in which their roles were going to be changing or adapting as a result of the um, technology that was being implemented. So it's, you know, I think that when you talk about overall, okay, so what's the biggest challenge? Frankly, it's understanding, uh, creating some empathy for this uh, workforce because they're so uh, it's so wide ranging as far as skill, experience, age, and so forth. So I have to tell you, this is probably the fourth or fifth episode that we have uh, kicked off since um, shifting focus to change management professionals in the series that we're doing on change management. And you are probably the fourth or fifth person to emphasize empathy for those frontline workers. And I, I love that you've said that because I think that's such a, a big part of why we wanted to bring Frontline Innovators Podcast t- together in the first place is to recognize that there's a human element of digital transformation that I think is often overlooked. And um, it, the, the folks that we've had the good fortune of, of interacting with that have a change management background it seems to be just a natural uh, part of your personalities 
that you understand the importance and and I, I don't I don't know that it's uh, it doesn't seem to be like an academic exercise. It seems like something that all of you so far that I've met, it just comes from within that you have a natural tendency to look at the impact that this stuff is having on people and and try to figure out what you can do to solve that. Anything more you can share about that? No, I'm happy to. Um, in fact, I just had a flash because this is a lot of years ago. But uh, my very first job, other than cutting grass in the neighborhood, was for the grocery store Jewel up around the Chicago area. And that was back at a time. In fact, I was just having this conversation with my son. These employers can't bring people in fast enough today. And he said, was it like this when you were a kid back when you rode a dinosaur around? I said, no, as a matter of fact, it was very competitive to land. It was a good, well-paying hourly job in a grocery store bagging groceries. And then, you know, later on, I got promoted to produce. And my friends that worked in the McDonald's on the parking lot were asking how they could get on at Jewel. It's just a different world, right? But I had that empathy. And then, you know, went to college and I've worked in a salaried position primarily in my career. Um, so anyhow, from an empathetic standpoint, I think that you make a very valid point, and I've observed this too. Um, in my profession, I'm involved in the what's called the Association of Change Management Professionals. It's been stood up similar to PMI for people who come from a project management background uh, as kind of the not uh, not the, but uh, authority around change management globally. They've had some great networking. I've been to several conferences. They even did a phenomenal post-COVID conference that I was able to attend. And I noticed that when I'm in the room, especially in person with these folks, you, there's never a stranger. You know, I've been down to this uh, session and the last one was in Dallas area, as a matter of fact, 2000 change management professionals roaming around, coming in and out of sessions, you know, buying the books and everything. And you just felt like you could strike up a conversation with almost anyone there. And um, now, of course, like every profession, there's gonna be people on either extreme, but generally speaking, Great group uh, in my career growth, uh, always available for networking uh, and, and and sharing best practices and so forth when you're on a particular assignment inside your organization. It just, I do think it's an element that really helps you to be successful in that role. Yeah. And another common theme is what you just uh, mentioned, which was your experience actually working in a grocery store. I actually had a very similar job myself when I was 16 or 17 years old back in the late 80s. I worked in a grocery store and I actually used one of the early versions of mobile technology to scan barcodes on the shelf tags and place orders oh. distributor. And I didn't really pay it much attention, to be honest with you. Back then, it wasn't until later I found myself in a career using that same kind of technology or helping to implement that stuff. And I was yeah. thinking, you know, I was one of the, the people on the receiving end of that. And that's another common theme with a lot of people that we see that are in these roles of, of working for technology adoption, that they have some connection back to the type of worker profile that they're serving. So in mm -hmm. your case, you know, you worked for a major grocer, you had some experience working in, in grocery, and I bet that really enabled you to truly be empathetic and put yourself in their shoes and imagine what it would be like. Other people that we've had on the show um, have had family members that may have worked in industry. And so they may not have, you know, walked a day in, in their family member's shoes, but they were used to the stories. And it yeah. just brings out an element of sensitivity to to their perspective on things. And I think that's so important. I, yeah. I think when the, the technology that we're talking about here, this isn't about stuff that we're putting in a data center that doesn't yeah. directly affect the humans, right? The stuff that we're talking about here is always in the hands of another yeah. human being that has to adopt it. That's right. That's exactly right. And you know, along those lines, 
I think what's tempting and what we need to be careful about when we talk about this workforce, and it's not just in the retail environment, but other people in frontline roles, you know, who doesn't have a cell phone now, right? It's just elemental. A lot of them, I think, are surgically attached. But you got to be careful about making the assumption that that capability, that attachment to that technology has anything to do with now here's this thing you're literally wearing on your wrist as you shop through the store. It's a, this, this was the clickless operation that was being formulated and you're being measured on this. Someone's paying attention to how quickly you're getting these items, the accuracy of the uh, items going out the door. There's things that are being looked at and you're coming in and out of a crowded space. A lot of times it was uh, put into um, a small area that they had to find room for. And the other part of that is your role is not in some warehouse or away from the customers. You're having plenty of customers. As soon as they see the logo or name tag, they're going to stop you and ask you questions. And so, and that was expected that you would be respond to those customers very much so, but continue to work on improving the speed with which you're using your device to do the grocery shopping and get them back into that back room. <laughs> Another way I think to say what you're talking about here that I just love that you've raised this point is their jobs depend on this technology Very and much. that is a profound difference between our you know society's uh, adoption of consumer technology right we we pick up facebook we pick up netflix we use the amazon app and, and we do those things without much concern if it doesn't work right or we don't understand something we just don't use the feature and we put it down and maybe we move to a different provider but these men and women are, are being handed technology and they're not given a choice. This is what they have to use to do their job. And, and you, another part of your point is that people are watching, right? That's maybe part of the reason why we've put the technology in place, right? There is, um, you know, some analytics on the back end to, to capture performance data and accuracy data and things like that. So uh, it does raise the anxiety for these men and women to have to use this. And I, I think we should just accept that and understand that um, rather than to think, hey, it's just a mobile app on an iPhone. How hard can it be? Right. Right. Well, you know, I've got examples in other industries, but I'll stick with the retail for just a minute because I think it's a great, um, you know, back and forth on that topic. When I went into some of the stores as part of the team to, to develop the training, update the communications and so forth, there was an, e I don't want to say equal group, but there was a group of people very excited about being able to use technology in their day-to-day -day work. So maybe they had been in a role in that store for a few years, they'd done different things, different departments. Now they're introducing this kind of new, fresh way of working. It's got a high profile, you get a, a different shirt than the rest of the employees. So you also wanna leverage that too and keep that excitement up. One of the things we did back to the cell phones is, um, you know, once this um, operation became uh, more prevalent across all the divisions across the U.S., we wanted to make sure there was a way that people could share best practices, uh, share success stories. And we used the company's Yammer. Yeah, that's a, a really great walkthrough. And, um, you know, just to, to kind of highlight the amount of change that these men and women have, have been facing over a, a long period of time. I mean, let's face yeah. it, technology isn't new in retail, and particularly in grocery. As I was saying, I was using this stuff back in 88. But the pace of change, the the amount of applications, the number of different tools that people are expected to use now is just uh, unprecedented, and there's no no sign of it slowing down. So yeah, exciting yeah. for those of us that are technologists that are implementing a lot of this technology. Um, but I, I can imagine that it's frightening for you know a lot of the women, men and women yeah. that are on the receiving side. Definitely. So let, let's just focus a little bit. I'd like the the audience to get to know a little bit more about you. First of all, tell us where you're from, where you're living in the country, and uh, a little bit about your background. 
Great, thank you. Uh, well, I live in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. In fact, I've been here almost exactly 24, excuse me, 25 years, somewhere in the middle of October is when I uh, moved here at the time my family was very young. And so this has been the longest I've ever lived somewhere. I consider it home. Uh, it was for a job promotion that I had taken and I've had several jobs since then. Um, grew up in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area until high school and then the Chicago area where I still have some family. Uh, but again, I've always been in the Midwest, uh, but I've had some great opportunities for travel, for work primarily, but also pleasure, not just in the US, but in different couple different countries. There's a lot more I'd like to go see. Uh, and my change management role has brought me to several uh, interesting countries and, and so forth. Uh, I, had, I came out of a, a, I had a journalism degree. And when I started in that field, it became evident when I went to go get that second job, because you started small and you work your way up these newspapers. And I lost my, uh, the interview out to someone who had been in the business for 10 years. I'm like, I got to wait this long to make this much. I don't think so. It just wasn't going to be, you know, I really admire people that stick with those careers. They kind of have a passion attached to them, but I shifted gears and got into technical writing that led into a curriculum uh, development and training delivery role. Uh, and then that's what brought me into organizational change management. Um, I think where I started and where I feel like I can say I have that demarcation, if you will, is when I was a consultant for SAP. Uh, I was brought in as a training manager there, a training lead for implementations that were going on, but they had a very uh, rigorous OCM, organizational change management methodology. And it was evident with some of my background and the skills I was obtaining that I could contribute in other areas and just kind of moved or segued into that as a full-time role. It depends on heavily on your training background. That's a big component of an organizational change strategy, communications, which I feel I have strong skills there, both in an in-person, talking to that C-level, but also in written communications. And then there's an analytical aspect to it too. You know, the stakeholder analysis, the uh, resistance management, just understanding complex organizations, picking them apart a little bit, and then supporting whatever change it's there you're to help to move forward. So I've been in the field, as I mentioned, as an organizational change manager for 15 years, a combination of consulting, uh, the Commonwealth of the Kentucky, uh, G GE Aviation, and also internally to Kroger Technology, where I worked for about five years as their uh, employee uh, in their digital implementation. So it's really an interesting set of experiences and the connection with journalism didn't make sense to me at first blush until you really talked about, um, you know, your writing skills and being able to uh, build learning content. And and that was kind of the, when the light went off for me, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, essentially journalism is, is a lot about uh, communication, obviously. And, and so bringing those skills into, um, you know, change management makes perfect sense to me, but you are the first person that we've spoken with with an OCM background that has a degree in journalism. So it, it stood out to us as an exception. That's great. That, yeah, and, and I will say that the one aspect of that role, that job that I did, which I enjoyed very much at the time I was doing it, I, it's a lot of years ago, but the friends that I made there, I still have a few of them that were in contact. It was very close. It was that first job experience. You, know, you get out in the world. Um, but anyhow, what was impactful to me and I think follows through today is I learned 
in that job, people really do enjoy talking about themselves. If you're a good reporter, you've got to develop trust. People like to kind of share, even on difficult subjects. And that's an important part of being successful in organizational change management. You've got to get people to trust you. You want to be empathetic, but you sometimes find yourself circling in the HR space, so to speak. And some changes aren't always welcome, right? They're necessary. The business is driving them, but it doesn't change the fact that you've got to be, you want to be successful in helping move the change forward. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's a, a great connection. Uh, I'm curious to, to talk specifically about your role uh, now at Insight Global. Uh, I know we're not going to talk the specifics of, of the customers that you serve today, but tell us a little bit about your role. What are you doing for the clients that you're working with today? Um, the client that I'm working with today is going through a uh, transformation. Uh, you know, that's a big word you hear it a lot. I've heard it in my previous employers too, but they are going through a transformation specifically in their uh, financial space. So I am partnered with um, the global team as well as the US-based team for this retailer, supporting the efforts around uh, the automation efforts that are going on the org design and impacts to the organization that will be occurring as a result of this transformation, just trying to you know, be out in front of the way in which they um, partner in the financial groups inside this company with their partners in different parts of the retail organization across the business and helping get them ready for that kind of the next wave, making them uh, the individuals then as a result, becoming much more uh, proactive and um, how can I say it best, proactive as well as uh, strategic in their partnerships with the parts of the business that they support. That's a lot. There sounds yeah. like there's a lot going on with that client. There is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a real fun challenge because it's a great group of people. It's uh, a couple, a multi-country kind of dynamic. Uh, and, you know, they, the, the good thing, and this is always an important thing you establish when you join a consulting assignment or just a new change project is where are people from a change saturation standpoint, uh, is there a hunger or an appetite for this change? And how do you leverage that and help bring it forward? So it's been interesting to observe some of the you know responses and, and where they hope to bring this organization as a result. <laughs> That's a term I haven't heard before, change saturation. Oh, yeah. can, can we peel that back a little bit? I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. How do you even, first, maybe how you define change saturation? I think maybe the words themselves are a little obvious, but I'd like to hear how you would describe that in an OCM uh, you know, perspective. And then how do you measure that? Definitely. Um, one of the biggest temptations that you have that you have to step back from is when you're brought into an assignment or a project or a program where they've budgeted for and allocated for the change management support. I think in, you know, in general, the industries are moving closer to bringing that early. There's tons of reading out there that says, if we had done this change earlier, you know, there would have been better adoption. You know, all those slides, they've been out there forever. So, But I'm seeing the demand or the expectation for that role, let's put it that way, at the very beginning of a program, even at the time that the charter and vision statement's being developed. You might not even be part of the day-to-day -day right away, but you're part of that um, early the, you know, change strategy being, excuse me, the program, the strategy being developed for whatever the organizational changes is about to take place. So now that you've landed, 
and you're getting ready to start. And I've learned this kind of the hard way, like a lot of things we learn, but I ask early and I ask it several times, what else is going on in this organization? Let me go back to uh, another role I had, not in retail, but um, about 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago, uh, a long assignment I had uh, with GE Aviation, which was when I was a consultant for SAP, they were implementing some SAP modules. Well, it was for one of their um, uh, repairs, not manufacturing, but repair centers for the engines. They literally brought the engines to this very, very busy, um, you know, uh, place in uh, Brazil outside of Rio de Janeiro, of all places, but it became kind of a major center for repair. And, um, you know, they had a lot of demands at there because there was so much demand for their work and, you know, just trying to keep people hired and so forth. So you just needed to understand what else do people have going on? What are the other changes that are being implemented? They can be driven by regulation, by competition, by another part of the business saying, hey, we're having this issue. So we need you to pick up this work. So you got that day-to-day -day pressure, but then there's also changes that are being implemented. You know, any big company like that, any of these big Fortune 500s, at any given time, there's usually some sort of um, initiative underway. It might be around safety or culture. So you want to not necessarily, you know, you might even want to attach yourselves to those and say, hey, how does this fit in with this big cultural change that's going underway? So if you're the associate, the hourly employee, the, the person in the office, you're hearing all these buzzwords, you get a couple comms and things like that. And from a change saturation standpoint, you really want to understand, is this particular change coming, deemed to be critical, going to be adopted, or are we going to get some resistance? Because people are just, they can't get their day-to-day -day done, and there's no way they're going to be able to absorb this. And try to find that either that middle ground, you might document early that there's going to be challenges to this particular change, what we're here to work on today. So you might have to shift the timing or something else might have to move as a result uh, because people still need to come in and do their day-to-day -day functions as well. It's not an uncommon thing. You know, I think people, you know, as far as defining it or measuring it, you know, it's easy to say, oh no, I'm so overwhelmed. You know, people might feel that way oftentimes at work. It's more than that. It's really you know, where are the drivers? If I'm in this department or I have this particular role, what are all these factors and quote changes coming at me in addition to changes already underway? And then related to that, not quite the same, but in this space is what are some changes that have been done here? This is any company. I'm not singling out any one company that weren't successful and why? And understanding what that is to help, you know, make sure that you're being more, you know, proactive and, and effective in the change in what you're supporting. You know, you, you talked about it in the context of, and because I asked specifically about the change saturation, right? So it's, uh, you know, assessing the, the other things that are changing inside the organization. But as you were describing that, you made me realize something else. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed with even the status quo, yes. right? So it's not just necessarily that these people are affecting things that are different or being affected by things that are different, but they could be affected by things that are the same. They could already be overwhelmed with just a normal day in their life. And, and one of the examples of that that I think about is with a lot of the frontline workers that we've been around, you know, they already have 20 stops to do on every route. They're already hard pressed to get that done without drifting into overtime. And they already get in trouble when they don't get their, their 20 stops done, you know, within the eight or 10 hours that have been allocated to their route. 
And now we're going to come to them and tell them we have to change. So that's not change. That's just a normal part of their day, but they're, they're grinding on that every day. They're trying to get their 20 stops done or 10 stops or 40 stops, whatever it is, depending on their industry. Right. Yep. But then we come to them and we say, Oh, and by the way, while you're still doing that and keeping all those balls in the air, now we have to do this other thing too. Right. And, you know, we wonder why they would be perhaps reluctant to some of the change that we're talking about. Right. So well, yeah. I, I guess really the the realization I'm having is sometimes it could be change saturation, sometimes it could be steady state saturation, but there's a certain capacity that people may already be at or above that is affecting their ability to adopt what we're now talking about. Well, and you know, uh, uh, corollary to that, because you're exactly right of what you just said, sometimes it's the day-to-day impacts. You got to, this is just me saying this, it's not anything I'm pulling, it's, you know, a common phrase, but you also got to be ahead of kind of the eye roll, the kind of like, oh, here we go again. You know, I just got the memo. I just got the the screensaver. If you work in the office, some companies use, you know, the updates or, and then the poster on the wall. So you want want to make sure you're paying attention to that kind of reaction as well. Yeah, no, that's exactly (laughs) right. Well, let's let's get back to something, you know, that we talked about in the beginning. I, I asked you for your take on what you feel is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce. What do you think the frontline workers themselves would say? What do you think is their biggest challenge that that they would respond if we were interviewing them right now? Well, you know, this goes for everyone, but I would say in particular, uh, in some ways for a frontline worker, um, maybe not in every case, but in many cases, you know, it goes back to that empathy standpoint. What I mean by that is they're working uh, probably maybe in support, but not maybe necessarily the primary income. It might be, it might not be. And then if it is, it's definitely not the income of the people sitting in the downtown office building. So they've got that pressure of trying to make this role work and you know, with the compensation that's offered and the demands on the job and so forth. Some of them may very well have a second job. There's this whole gig economy that's evolved and you've got plenty of people. Uh, maybe it's a good thing, you know, I've got a son that, you know, hey, why aren't you doing this on the weekends? You're young and you don't have any commitments. You know what I mean? So there's definitely some opportunities there. It's not always a negative thing. Um, but then I think that, you know, what we have to be really careful of and be supportive of is, when, especially when we're implementing technology, technology touches everything now, right? So we might feel really good about as an app, an interface, uh, a new website, whatever it might be, and it looks good to us, but I'm not interacting with it in the way the people that we're asking to interact with it are. Perfect example. I'll go back to my uh, Kroger experience, which was I really enjoyed very well. And it's no secret, they've been doing this click list operation for a long time. But when I was part of the early uh, part of that implementation, we went into some stores because we wanted to understand, you know, they had uh, policies that were new and needed to be followed around cl- opening and closing and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times there wasn't a place to sit down. Uh, they were interacting on uh, kind of like a Citrix network or, you know, a clone screen. It wasn't like they've got this laptop they can carry around and find a quiet spot. So they're interacting and trying to grab very essential information in an otherwise kind of noisy space with people coming in and out, asking questions, maybe the customer peeking around, hey, do you have any of this in the back room? Uh, And so, you know, we just want to make sure that we adapt and make easy to use as possible 
uh, the, you know, and then to their credit, and I saw this in other organizations too, they had a dynamic, very, very strong um, team of people who did the user design and user interface, the UX and UI teams. And so the, all the time that they spent trying to understand not just the customer needs, but the employee needs were really helpful to help to be successful in, in implementing some of this technology. I think too that, um, you know, everyone, and no matter what your field is, whether it's a frontline worker, which we're talking about today, or you work in an office or in a bank or wherever, everyone's got a boss, right? And then your boss, he or she has metrics and things that they're, things that are being paid attention to, and they're trying to measure. So we want to be understanding of what's coming down on you. What are the expectations on you so that your boss can look good? We don't want to do anything to deflect from that. We want to make you successful so you can make the whole organization successful. There were a lot of gems in your answer here, but there are two of them that I want to I want to pull out. Um, the, the first is the economic considerations um, of of the frontline workers themselves, and then the second one is is their boss, and they kind of tie in together a little bit. I think one of my teammates said one day we were brainstorming about um, our, our technology that I do in my day job, and she said, you know, some of these folks may be the primary breadwinners, and they may be living paycheck to paycheck, they would be disproportionately likely to be, um, you know, living under those, you know, kind of financial pressures and stresses. And then we bring them out technology and that makes them maybe normally a little bit anxious, but with the added pressure of the context of their family life, it adds a whole nother level. And, you know, when you talked about their, uh, you know, their chain of command, if their boss is kind of riding on them and saying, hey, if you don't figure this out, like you're not going to have a job here, right? Or some variation of that, that probably doesn't make the adoption any easier. In fact, it's probably actually adding stress and anxiety to that circumstance. Yeah. So when you think about it, you know, I, I try to put myself in those shoes and I say, well, it's been a real long time since I've worried about, you know, if I don't figure this thing out at work, I might get fired, right? Um, but I, I do think whether the culture there, um, supports that or that's just the way that they're internalizing it i think it's a, a genuine fear that we have to be aware of yeah and it sounds like you're uh, obviously just with the empathy that you bring to your role you're hypersensitive to that stuff but i i don't know that all organizations are uh i think there's this um you know i, I had a, a business leader in another organization that i won't mention by name he just said well it's just an iphone how hard can it be and it it's just like it made my blood boil because that, sure, that's easy for you to say. You're a VP of finance and you're probably not worried about your job if you have to use you know, some mobile app, but the person on the field is not necessarily feeling the same way about that. You know, um, to follow up on that and in total agreement with that, I think where opportunities exist when it might appear that the technology is somewhat challenging or hard to overcome is pay attention to the smart, hardworking people trying to make it work, right? What's their stumbling block? And, and, you know, whether you're not able to make a lot of changes to it, at least come up with ways to support you know, if it's better training or practice, in fact, changing the interface, they can then become your most successful advocates, right? I was listened to. And, um, you know, if I can observe someone that was otherwise, and that's the other thing I think you see, and I've seen this in other parts of my career, not just in the retail environment, people that were very successful and confident in their roles and they took this flyer, right? I want to do something new, but I like this company. It's working out for me. I like the schedule. I like the story, I like the location. There's a lot of things that drive them wanting to stay there. Now they're going to do this whole new thing with technology. 
And then you want to try to get in front of like, did I make a really bad decision here? Because <laughs> I was doing great managing another part of the store. And now all of a sudden, oh my gosh, what's happening? So, and you know, there's always going to be, you know, as an individual, you have to have your own personal accountability, like what you sign up for and so to speak. But I think from an organizational change management standpoint, what do we do to at least give all the proper preparation and especially supporting them where they're at. You know, outside of my retail work, uh, when I was with a couple organizations, actually as an SAP consultant, and this is not that long ago, okay? This is not 25 years ago, but maybe within the last decade or 12 years, two very different assignments. There were frontline workers who were gonna be impacted, even though the role might be somewhat repetitive, it was still a critical role in the process that needed mouse training. They used a green screen. They didn't have a computer at home. They didn't need one. Or in some cases, and I trained in classrooms, uh, this was a, a customer, I don't remember their name, so it wouldn't matter, but they made dental equipment in the Chicago area, which has a very large uh, Polish population. There were many, not a couple, Polish, primarily speaking people, very competent, but they had a translator sitting next to them so they could make sense of this new <laughs> software that they were going to be using. Even though they weren't sitting there programming all day, they still had to interact with it. And there were certain things they needed to do as part of their job. Exactly. Yeah, no, those are great examples. And, and when you talk about things that some people may take for granted, you use the example of a mouse. Uh, some people may take for granted that everybody just knows how to use that thing. Uh, to some of us, it it would seem now as if it's very intuitive because we've been using it for so long. Uh, yeah. But the reality is, to to a first timer, it's not always an intuitive. And and we talk a lot about too, even just the difference between you know iOS and Android. So you know you're an iOS user, I'm a, an Android user, and if we tried to flip phones and and do something as simple as just making a phone call or taking pictures or going and looking at our you know photo reel, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you you feel like you're all thumbs on the other device. Very so, much. you know, when we bring that technology into the workforce and now we go back to some of those other things we were just talking about right now, I've got to use this to do my job. My boss is looking over my shoulder. I'm feeling uncomfortable and, and insecure about the circumstance. How can we ease that transition to allow them to be successful and ultimately allow the business to be successful with the transformation? But if we don't bring it down to that individual level, then then there's no chance for program success across the board. Definitely. And I think it's, you know, one of the things that um, they're challenging to maintain sometimes, but they serve a great purpose in this change field is a change agent network. So you have a representative group across the organization, whatever it is you're implementing, and give those individuals chance to bring feedback. You know, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing as we start to implement and make a two- two-way or you know circular kind of conversation going on not just this one way here it is and i just updated for you go crazy but give me your input and make sure we're implementing that as well when that's practical it makes sense yeah yeah i've heard this term change champions a few times now and i understand the concept as soon as you mentioned the phrase but i i admit i hadn't heard that phrase up until the last few weeks as we've been doing some of these podcasts and it yeah. it makes perfect sense uh to to find those champions internally that will help carry the flag and and bring the message out and it's you know i have seen countless experiences the best leaders in in companies have found those people in the organization and, and they probably didn't use the term change champion for it um, but they they recruited a group of people that could be the advocates and and kind of peer representatives and bring them on board to help facilitate the change. And um, that's phenomenal to to watch that, right? Because you're you're gonna you're more likely to listen to your peers. Uh, 
yep. and then, than you are just, you know, another leader talking about some new change coming in the organization, right? So it's, uh, it's a great way to really think about that. Well, people want to um, communicate, if you will, or react. Not always. You always have like an outspoken group of people, but in a safe space, right? So it's not like the change champion is running from, oh, I just came out of a team meeting. You won't believe what they said. It's not like that at all. It's, hey, we had lunch or uh, we sit and talk once a week about this thing or whatever, whether it's formal, informal. If, you, if you're successful, you're not just sending them out to push the change you're bringing in the feedback, the comments and things like that. It goes, just like when you're doing your communications planning, the most successful comms in almost every case is what do people wanna hear change from? Their immediate supervisor, right? So you wanna make sure that you have talking points and communications that you can give to him or her, and then they can direct to that because they already have that one-on-one relationship and trust. And the change champion network or change agent network is just an expansion of that, but it brings that feedback and, it allows people's voices to be heard. And hopefully if you set the right goals, the program to be even more successful because now you've kind of got that ear of the customer, so to speak, even if the customer is internal and you're paying attention to what they're going to be anxious about. It helps prepare for your training and your comms and all the other factors to make the adoption high. Yeah, no, it, it makes really perfect sense. And it sounds so obvious, honestly, when you talk about it, but it's not obvious to every organization that we've been around to be proactive on this. And you said something before I actually meant to ask you then, but I'll, I'll bring it up now, which is I, I think sometimes organizations have had to suffer a little bit through an experience where they didn't handle change management successfully on the first go around. Mm-hmm. There are certain things and we're just stubborn humans. I, I know we all are. I know I'm guilty of this too in certain things, right? But until we've tried to do it the way that we think is easy and the, the quickest path and we've stumbled, then we look back and say, well, what would I do differently? Oh yeah, those guys were talking that we should really have a proactive change management strategy in place. And I kind of pushed it to the side and didn't want to fund it or pay attention to it at the time. But now yeah. that we've gone through a, a, you know, a, a significant transformation and it didn't go as planned, now I value that more. And yeah. you know, we, we see that happen a lot. It is sometimes the first time, <laughs> just, some people are just, um, you know, they're going to need to maybe skin their knees a little bit uh, yeah. until they uh, you know, perceive that value. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, I think, um, you know, where companies look back and, and will admit or realize that they didn't bring change management in early enough. Um, I think the one thing I'd advise if you're looking at it, you know, yes, when you're creating a program and maybe you have a budget assigned, it's an added expense that might or might not feel like it's necessary. The the role is the one in which you can engage early, as I mentioned before, just kind of get the lay of the land and then come back. It doesn't mean you have to be in this straight line on a day-to-day necessarily, but just kind of be, you know, kind of keep track of the, the progress of the program and you can engage in different places. And a lot of cultures, and I've seen companies starting to do this now, they're trying to become uh, their own organ, you know, change organization, if you will, and bring that uh, learning and adoption across the organization. So if you're a project manager or you have a small program you're trying to implement, you can pull those fundamentals. Maybe you'll consult with a change practitioner to kind of kick it off and then execute on a lot of those activities yourself. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. It's it's just part of an evolution and, and we have seen it. It's part of the reason that we wanted to shift the focus of the podcast a little bit over to to this conversation. And I think we're going to stick with this for, for quite some time because um, we are seeing the evolution. I've heard more and more of our clients having uh, change management pros or teams, whether it be outside consultants or even an in, in internal uh, you know, center of excellence of sorts 
uh, around change to really yes. be more proactive with this. And having been in the tech space for a really long time, it, it seems to me that this is a, a trend that's moving in the right direction. I, I look back now on some projects that we did 10 or 15 years ago, and I realized that this is what was missing, right? We were trying to jam things in um, from just a purely IT and project management standpoint without really doing a good enough job of, of considering the human implications of, of all that we were doing. And uh, this is fantastic. So uh, I'm curious about when we think about deskless workers, I'm curious to get your take on whether you think that change management strategy should be different or is different for frontline workers, kind of deskless workforce community that we talk about versus what we would consider more the traditional, you know, kind of knowledge workers working in, you know, corporate. Is there a different strategy that applies to one versus the other, or would you say it's exactly the same? What are your thoughts on that? Great question. In my opinion and in my experience, I don't think the differences lie so much in the strategy because each of those, well, I'll go back to the implementation of SAP at a couple organizations I was in. It was not only, in, it was impacting office workers, you know, because you typically would implement the financial FICO, they call it uh, modules. And that was a baseline for the other modules. So you have people in your, you know, financial operation, accounting, other leadership roles. But then again, now we can go at the little kiosk, whether it was created or not on the shop floor, that person can do this. And that gives us automatic updates. I'm oversimplifying this greatly, but they're being affected by SAP as well in this example. So the overall strategy is one that says, how do I bring, you know, the workforce or the, the folks that are doing this over here, no matter who they are, where I would say that differences lie are in the tactics. And I think that the thing that we as practitioners need to pay really careful attention to, I know I have, is kind of take a step back from all your technology implementations, because a lot of this field grew up as a result of that, right? And, you know, look at it more from a cultural standpoint, you know, what are the cultural impacts? What are the, you know, the languages, as I mentioned, those factors and making sure you're incorporating in those because you have a much more diverse group of people uh, with whom you're trying to help support this adoption. So strategy is strategy, but it's the tactics um, that I think that when you would see the big, very, the very big variation, actually, you know, uh, just a quick example we had some success with uh, these quarterly meetings where anyone that had a phone that was part of this operation, this new back store operation could use their phone. They didn't have to be on a special computer or anything. And there was like a Q&A that they could manage. And it was nice because we had a lot of engagement. I'd, I'd get the leaders in one room and then we'd assign the question to whoever they typed the answer and everyone could see it at the same time. Um, but in order to bring people to the session, I had to take a big step back. I was working with the communications expert in the organization. She said, you know, for this audience, you can't rely on technology and email that they assume that they know we're going to have this event. We need to go print a real attractive poster in English and Spanish and put it in the break rooms to advertise this event. So it's just that understanding, you know, you got to sometimes take a big step back from the technology, because that's where people are gonna see that. Otherwise they would have never known about this particular event, whether they have a phone or not, it wouldn't have been made, they wouldn't have been made aware of it, so. Yeah, no, that's that's really well said. As you think about your past with, um, and I won't ask for any proper names on this part in particular, but I'm curious if you have any uh, mistakes 
perhaps lessons learned from maybe being part of a, of a change program that didn't go as expected. And if we can, you know, draw any learning out of, of those experiences. Yeah. A couple um, challenging projects that I've been on um, one in particular um, sometimes you, you learn, and I think this is part of your career growth and maturity as an individual, et cetera, is when you know your field and the overall goals, you need to be able to stand firm on those and articulate when we're off track. And so an assignment that I was on for about a year, I was for a governmental agency. They were kind of on the second wave of trying to do this implementation. The first one was not successful. So there was already that anxiety, right? And you didn't want to be the person to add anxiety, but there were divergences. There were things happening that were slowing down the progress that needed to be, um, you know, quickly articulated and, you know, figure out a way to work around those. Or if there's going to be a delay, tell what that delay is and why and what we're doing to fix that. I know for myself personally, but I think for some of the other people on the program too, people felt a little hesitancy to be as upfront about that. And I think a lot of it had to do with the history and the fact that that had already been kind of a big miss and you don't want to be part of the second miss. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, with that being said, you know, I've been through enough of these cycles and sometimes you do have those difficult conversations. You know, you do have to say whatever planning you've done, whatever you were promised as far as resources inside the organization that you're partnering with. And if they fall through, you might have to scramble for that plan B, but you've got to be realistic about where we are and how we're going to get there uh, and not kind of, you know, shaded or hope it sort of works out in the end. Cause these things have a way of just sort of revealing themselves eventually. And you want to try to be in front of that. Cause you're going to have the difficult conversation either, either close to the time it's happening or at the outcome. So just get it out of the way, peel off the bandaid. <laughs> and then, you know, I know in some of the most stressful situations, you might feel this way too, that you've ever been in your work situation, not even before my, when I was a change management, but just in the day-to-day, -day, like we had a very demanding boss about 25 years ago, and he was very angry at that's the results of our whole department, all the leaders, and we were all brought into his office one at a time. And I dreaded that all day. I was the last one for some reason. And it was a weird long story. And I walked out of there with this raise. I don't know if he was just exhausted or whatever, but I think he realized, you know, I guess maybe I am pushing these guys kind of hard. I know you're up to this. Just go get it done. You know what I mean? So sometimes yeah. you kind of have to throw yourself in there and maybe you get an outcome you weren't expecting, but a good one can come out too. <laughs> I, that's a great example. I, I think when you talked about the, the transparency with the people uh, affected. Actually, I think that's a really, really good point. And I was smiling as you were given that answer, not to make light of, of the difficulty that you went through, but I was thinking back all of a sudden, just kind of racing through a bunch of memories of other projects where we witnessed uh, teams not being as transparent. And I'll tell you what, that certainly didn't help at all for that project going forward. And it didn't do anything to build a bond between the implementers and those on the receiving end uh, of that change. And so, uh, you know, the, the transparency has always been part of our core value as a company and, and part of the way I've operated, just that I'd like to get the bad news out early. Mm -hmm. Let's get it out. Let's get it on the table. Let's bring a little humility, humility to the situation. And, you know, we're going to get a lot more support down the road if, if yeah. we're just being honest. That's what we're asking of them. Why wouldn't we do the same thing with them? Very, um, very true. Yes. Mm -hmm. But but I do think if if I can say this, I do think that sometimes the nature of the worker profiles for frontline folks 
makes people from corporate think that they can't handle the truth, right? Ah, yes, yes. I really do believe that. And I've not heard anybody say that out loud, but just as I watch the body language, I think sometimes that the folks from headquarters think, well, they, they don't need to know all the answers. They don't need to know, you, you know what? And I, I, don't, I don't think that that's true, nor do I think it's fair. And I think they actually probably sabotage their own success a little bit when, um, you know, they, they don't give them the same transparency that they might give, you know, other folks at headquarters. So, yeah. um, I don't know, something, something I'd like to just contemplate a little bit as, as you're, you're, you're making me think about this in a little bit of a different way, but I, I'd be curious to see what others in our audience are, are thinking about this in future podcast guests. I, I'd love to see what they think about this too, because I think it's, um, transparency is something that we probably take for granted sometimes when we're having certain business interactions, but I don't think it always exists when we're talking in the, in the scenarios we're talking about today. I agree. You know, I don't think there's anyone out there, regardless of their job role, their frontline nature of their work or not, that doesn't want to be, you know, understood, has value in the work that they're doing. And when you make that attempt, whether or not it's like part of your day to day, I think you can, you know, draw that out, but not just to make them feel better and give them the pat on the back. That's not really the goal. It's important, but it helps the overall program and, and you know, has a lot of benefits that come out of that as, as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to start, we've, we've got to start wrapping this up. It's been a great conversation, but before I let you go, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on perhaps one of your favorite things about working with technology. Uh, even though you're a, a journalism guy that ended up in change <laughs> management, um, you know, what's your favorite part about working with technology? You know, that's a great question. Um, I kind of came into it slowly, sort of like the frog, you know, boiling metaphor, because I uh, was doing literally user guides for technology back in the 1980s and early 90s for a software company and grew up in it. So my favorite thing about it um, is the interaction with the people. You know, I'm not from that background, but I can sit in a meeting, you know, I always laugh about this if people ask me later, I can understand the conversation now frequently. There's still a lot of terms and things out there that aren't part of my day to day, but don't ask me to repeat it widely, right? But I love that, um, you know, their technology really does make a difference in people's lives in a very important ways. And I think that um, what I like about it is being part of a, a team that can help bring it forward and then watch the results, see how it simplifies or enhances their job role, helps the company, you know, it just brings like value to what they're doing when it's implemented right. So that's what I enjoy about it very well. And I just like the people I've worked with people, you know, what I, I enjoy very much learning um, about other cultures. I've got to do some travel outside the country. That's really important to me. And in the IT world, of course, you bring people in from multiple countries and multiple cultures. And that's always other, otherwise also been a really great asset to being in this field. Yeah. What are some of the disadvantages? Anything you uh, really dislike about working with technology? Yes. I think that in some cases, you have people that are very, very narrowly focused on the technology for which they become in their minds or in reality or both the expert and just trying to get around that and say, can you dumb that down for me or can you explain it to me or give it to me that in English and experiencing some of that resistance that you get, like, how could you not know or grasp this? And I, I'm not saying that's a personality trait of people in technology, but I've seen that. And maybe if I was in the medical field and was working with doctors all day, I might get that from doctors too. But since I'm in technology, I've definitely seen some of that, but that's less and less frequent. I think things have become more shared, if you will. And I think that um, the jobs and the careers have grown in a way that people do bring a variety of experience. And so that's not a common practice, but I still see it. And that's one of the things I just like about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I could see, I could see that part. I, I also think, you know, it, this has come up a lot in our conversations that what, what seems easy to one person yes. isn't easy to all of us. Yes. And I, I think that's the essence of what you're saying. And so there are a lot of people in technology um, that, you know, because they have expertise in a given area, they just can't comprehend that those of us outside that area don't understand it. And, well, and the problem is that translates down to maybe whatever application or they're asking you to, to engage with. You've got to kind of be that middleman or have that, again, that sort of empathy of what am I giving to these people that their jobs depend on it? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I have this quote on my board. I talk about it all the time, but it's the myth of simplicity. And I think uh, a business partner of ours said that to me one day and I wrote it down and I've never forgotten it. It's... um. I think that that's really a part of what we're saying there, right? To, to one person, it's simple, but to everybody else, uh, it may not be as simple. And when we're talking about digital transformation and specifically around change management, we have to keep that in mind. So I, I yep. think you raise a really good point. And we all need to be better at that. I, I know uh, I'm in the business of helping to implement technology for these frontline workers, and I can even be guilty of it myself, particularly in my family life, you know, with my wife and my son and, and my parents who may be trying to use applications. I'm like, why can't you just figure it out? It's just an iPhone app. And then, you know, I catch myself and I say, you know, I'm actually in the business of not saying that. <laughs> yeah. So, no, and, you know, I, I have to say just from my own standpoint, the fact that your organization, that that's their focus is so it's refreshing. And I think it's long overdue. <laughs> and you're probably finding that as you go out to your customer base. Um, you know, we just, set these expectations of look at this thing it works great go nuts on it but we got to pay way more attention to what their requirements are the folks that are the ones on the front line because again it's not just a matter of learning the technology but making it work with everything else going around them usually in a loud crowded noisy outside possibly literally in the environment kind of space and taking all that into account <laughs> yeah no you're, you're spot on well i appreciate you saying that and and that's a big reason why we wanted to bring you know frontline innovators together and, and bring this podcast series together is just to to elevate the conversation around the unique needs of of the men and women on the front lines maybe uh resolving some of the guilt that i have for being a technologist that's been you know uh, implementing this technology in the field and maybe didn't have the awareness myself of yeah. why you know we were struggling to get adoption in certain places so i'm really fortunate to be in a position now where we can try to affect change and and pull together a community of folks who are kind of like-minded and, and looking for better ways to do that whether it involves the technology that we're involved with or just better practices um yeah. if we can raise you know awareness of this challenge um then then i think we'll all be better off for it as will the frontline workers who are on the receiving end of this so very much, very much, yeah. yes. Well, man, we are, we are out of time. And Sean, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really, really enjoyed the chat. Uh, it's gone some ways that I didn't quite expect and, and really appreciate, um, you know, just some of the fun things that we talked about with your background today and, and um, you know, some of the places that you've worked. So thank you for sharing today. Um, I do need to wrap it up. So um, I hope everybody else has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have today. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, as we were just talking about, uh, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com, and that's skillful with a Y, S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story, and we'll see you on the next episode. Sean, thank you again for your time today.